just all those groups have in one way or another in small ways come together to uh, really make a pretty cool partnership that's not obvious above the surface, but uh, we all know what's happening. It's pretty remarkable. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Well, hello there, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Channel Mastery Podcast. You're about to listen to episode number 132, the second in three special COVID-19 episodes that expand on the April 14th panel that was produced by Outdoor Industry Association and Snow Sports Industries of America. So that was on pivoting production to PPE, personal protective equipment. This episode is a bit of a double-decker, meaning I've got two interviews that we've edited into a single podcast episode. It made sense to do that from a timing and a topical standpoint, so I hope it works for you. We're trying to keep things efficient around here. And please also know the timestamp on this episode is right around mid-April of 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. I don't know about you, but this crisis, and now recession, is making our lives, both personally and professionally, about as clear as mud. It's like we're swimming around in a moat of uncertainty, doing the wait-and-see game. And I know we all love that so very much, don't we? (sighs) But in the face of the uncertainty, I have to say that I'm starting to see something pretty amazing emerge consistently. And that is that a lot of people in the outdoor active lifestyle markets are showing up and making amazing things happen really fast in the face of the coronavirus crisis. It's been an absolute honor to facilitate conversations that are fueling collaboration and forward progress in our communities with COVID-19. The OIA-SIA PPE panel, which took place again on April 14th, had an insanely huge amount of interest from our communities, and it's no wonder why. Companies that are pivoting are keeping their doors open as essential businesses and paying their workforce. There's also phenomenal demand for PPE for frontline healthcare professionals in this crisis. I mean, the demand is quite staggering, actually, the more I learn about this. And in today's episode, I'm basically going to do a deep dive with two of the panelists to ensure that you get to hear more from them, more resources, more insights, and I hope more inspiration for you to consider how your business can be a vehicle for positive change during COVID-19. We're going to sit down today with Lindy Bell, who leads experiential marketing for Chaco, about the incredible journey that Chaco's team has committed to taking with its pivot to PPE. And after that interview, the conversation turns to Alex Adema, president of DPS Skis. Alex and I talk about the super innovative collaboration between DPS, Petzl, Goal Zero, and Eastman Manufacturing, 
all four located in the Salt Lake City area. They've all come together to create PPE and have made a longer-term commitment to meet the huge demand for such product. Verde and SIA are co-producing this series of shows, and I'd like to extend a sincere thank you for their support. I'm also pretty sure that OIA's Outdoors podcast will be airing this show, as well as the additional show we're launching next week with Jason Duncan of Outdoor Research. As always, the show notes for this episode and all other episodes can be found at channelmastery.com. And please check out the verdepr.com website for a continually growing set of COVID-19 resources that our team has committed to updating every single week. We've even created a special one just for this podcast series and the panel. Go to www.verdepr.com forward slash pivot, and you'll find a guide to how to communicate what your brand is doing around PPE if you have pivoted your manufacturing. All right, my friends, we're starting with the Lindy Bell interview, and then we transition to Alex Adema. Let's do this. We are focusing this week on pivoting manufacturing to PPE, which is protective, personal protective equipment. So that when you see that acronym, you now know what that is, because literally you're going to be seeing it everywhere, not just in all of our coverage this week. So welcome Lindy Bell from Chaco. It is wonderful to have you here. You joined me on a panel for Snow Sports Industries of America, SIA, as well as Outdoor Industry of America, OIA, earlier this week on Tuesday. And it's great to have you here. I was looking forward to interviewing you all in your own show so that we could go deeper into the great work that you and your team at Chaco are doing around this initiative. So welcome. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Oh, we're super excited to have you here. So in the interest of being efficient and protecting everybody's time, I would love it if you could just drop drop right into an introduction of Chaco and to yourself. And uh, then we'll get into our conversation here today. Yeah, so I have been with Chaco for about three years now. Um, I was with the parent company prior to that for two additional years. I sort of took a non-traditional path, if you will, into corporate America. I started in the nonprofit sector. My background um, and what I studied was actually politics and international relations, but was really drawn to the outdoor industry in, in particular. So now working at Chaco is, is kind of a dream job. I do experiential marketing. So I'm an extrovert and it's like the best possible case for an expert is to work in experiential marketing. So it's been really great. Although this uh, particular crisis has been an interesting challenge. I think that was a great tee up of your um, background. Can you give us a quick overview about what you're spearheading at Chaco with, with the actual mobile solution that you have turned into a PPE solution? Can you give us a little bit of background on yes. that? Absolutely. So the one important thing to know about Chaco is that we have a factory here in Michigan and it does repairs and makes custom sandals. And we've spent the better part of the last year developing a mobile factory. It is uh, a school bus that we converted into a mini factory of sorts that can go around and bring that experience to our consumers. So being able to do repairs on site, being able to make custom sandals on site. Um, and we were ready to launch at South by Southwest. The bus was um, the day before it was going to leave and head there is when South by Southwest got canceled. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we 
in a matter of a week, we came up with sort of four different pivot plans, best case to worst case. And we moved through all four of those pivot plans within a matter of days as this crisis got worse and worse. And it, it immediately became aware to us that this was a going to have a larger impact than we had initially thought. It was going to be more than just a few canceled events. So we looked at a, a larger pivot and it really came together over the course of a weekend, which is shutting our doors, putting it in park and um, doing nothing just didn't really relate to who we are as a brand or our consumer. Our consumers are doers, they're makers, they're active, they're attuned to what's happening in politics in the world. So for us to just not do anything seemed very, it just didn't seem right for us. And so our head of marketing had this idea like, hey, we have equipment, we have sewing machines, we have a fully trained staff. Could we just start making masks? Masks seemed like the most obvious need and highest need at that time. And so Over the course of the weekend, we got the various approvals and we started producing masks in our Michigan factory here, but then also um, with our field crew in Portland where the bus is um, located right now. Awesome. And so literally four days, you went through four different scenarios. And then let's talk about the steps that you took when you committed to going the route of PPE, because you've been a a big champion in in the panel. And and prior to that, as, as, um, you know, Outdoor Industry Association conducted the research interviews with you for that panel, you were very, very clear in, in terms of how you talked about progress over perfection, but also starting hyper-local and then growing from there. And I think that's really important for our audience today, people who are listening, who are interested in similarly activating their brands to create positive change at this time. Absolutely. When we started this, we did not have, um, we've iterated the design, we've changed how we do our production. As product people, we spend a year to two years getting something just right and just perfect. And I think the thing to remember is that this is a crisis. This is not a normal situation and therefore we can't follow the normal processes. Any brand that I have talked to about getting up and running, I have just advised them to just start, just start wherever you are. We sort of tried to go the super formal official route right out of the gate, contacted the CDC and immediately realized like, okay, they're not there yet. This this was a month ago. And so then we just went super local. Um, we have friends that are doctors and nurses and work at local hospitals and said, who can we reach out to there? And there was an immediate and very obvious need right within our community. And so we just started there. And from there, we have sort of connected with other people in the state of Michigan, improved our designs as even as recent as um, this past week, now started a partnership with Bissell, which is a local vacuum cleaner brand and working on some prototypes with them for better filtration for the hospitals locally. So really just starting very small and continuing even three weeks later into production, still iterating. Tell me this, Lindy, from the time that you started this venture to now, and let's say like one is um, kind of grassroots, I'm picking up the phone, and five is I feel like I have a great network. Where has it gone over the past three weeks? Like maybe week one was like yes. totally hand built, and now where are you? And because that's ultimately where new people are going to get into the current with you. Yes, absolutely. It was definitely a a one or a 0.5 to start this out. (laughs) YouTube videos on how to make masks and as scrappy as you can possibly be. You do not have to be an expert. I'm in marketing. I've never, 
I can't sew a thing, but we knew it was something, we knew it was the right thing to do. And we knew that we had something to offer um, because we had the equipment and we had the trained people. So we just started at zero and have been building from there. And it's been great to see how many other brands and companies have jumped in. As soon as we put out the word that we were going to be doing this, people have started reaching out. And now I feel like we have a really um, strong community of people that we can sort of go to and connect with, of doctors that can give us sort of feedback on what we're making, of other brands that might have material um, knowledge that we can share. And also, I mean, I have to say that we have a parent company. And so our parent company, Wolverine Worldwide, has also been amazing and super supportive of us pivoting from making sandals to making masks. And they've been a great resource for us as well, not only from, you know, the legal and, and distribution side of things, but also in sourcing, you know, our sister brand Merrill has donated materials. We are using shoelaces from some other brands to do the ties on the masks. So we couldn't have done it without them either. But from there, our network has really built into the larger, specifically the outdoor industry. Mm-hmm. Has there been a little tail wagging the dog happening with Chaco and Wolverine? Being not as familiar with that analogy, I'm not sure. Exactly. Like, like, a, like a small heirloom brand, if you will, like Chaco, oh. positively creating action with the mothership of Wolverine. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we might have just been had more visibility to it a little quicker because when we pivoted, it was before the shelter in place um, here in Michigan. So we just kind of were a few steps up ahead and sort of saying, Hey, we see this coming, you know, we had been planning to go to South by and it looks like it's coming towards us. Let's think ahead here because it's likely we could either choose to do this or we're going to be told to shut down anyways. Right. Okay. And that's an important point before we get on to my next question. Making this pivot did enable Chaco to stay open as a necessary business, correct? Or, or were you already designated that prior? No, that was hugely important. And that was another thing that we were thinking about is, you know, we're a really small team. Chaco's a really small team. And so we're close with everyone that works at our factory. Our factory is, you know, a couple of blocks away from where our other offices are. And so we were not only concerned about how we could contribute during this time, but what was going to happen to our hourly employees that they're hourly employees, but they've been a part of our brand for longer than I have. And so, that was really important. And then also our field crew, we had committed hours to them and a lot of them are, you know, seasonal workers. They ski, they do like ski training and stuff in the winter. And then they have these like summer jobs and we just didn't feel right about just canceling and closing our doors. We felt like we could have some purpose and we could keep jobs going during this time too. That's awesome. And on that note, I imagine that not only obviously would morale improve from this, but mm. I believe that like a larger mission emerges through this. And it's something that I think is not going to go away after the COVID-19 crisis. So have you seen kind of the seeds of that set in with your workforce? Mm, absolutely. I think a crisis like this can make you feel incredibly out of control. Things are just happening to your business and you just can't do anything about it. And so I think on the very smallest level, it's given us some sense of purpose in this very strange time and some sense of control over a situation that is incredibly out of our control. Um, I think the other thing is... Um, and what I love and why I was drawn to Chaco is that we've had a history of always sort of um, doing the right thing and participating in the larger conversation. Um, it's who our consumer is. It's what they care about. And we're pretty attuned to that. And so we see this as just an extension of, you know, who we are. We hope that, 
we're going to be able to go back to making shoes again and back to sort of what we were doing before. That is our goal. It's not that we plan on making PPE, you know, forever, but just as things change, we will continue to change with them. And I think um, the brands that have been able to adapt and change quickly and sort of um, be attuned to what's happening have come out a little bit ahead. And so I think that's important to realize as, you know, our environment and community continues to change is that we just need to be um, responding as these things happen. I'm also hoping, I think we've been a huge supporter of protecting our, um, wild places, our national parks, American rivers, not having access to those things right now and being, you know, forced to stay inside. My hope would be that we would also come out of this with new fresh eyes and how important those spaces and places are for us and why we need to continue to our conservation efforts. I love so much about what you just said. Number one, I see it as a really important part of the recovery and healing of our entire country. And it's going to be, you know, what we've seen even on the bike side of our business with just people pulling out whatever bike they have or buying new price point level products so Mm -hmm. that they can get outside as a family or at least, you know, encourage their kids to get outside, whatever it is. Anybody who has the ability to get out and walk their you know, path or, or be in their town, they're seeing people on bikes as one example. And that's yeah. what we're really hoping can remain. And what you just said, I think, underpins that opportunity. It's like highlighting our country's public lands, the great resources we have, but then making that bridge very clear through what we're going through right now around the healing properties of that and just how important that is for our well-being in general. I think that's going to really, really help our conservation efforts. And I think we could probably help steer that conversation and call to action through great brands like Chaco, frankly, and mm-hmm. through our industry organizations, because ultimately that's where the audiences are, whether it's B2B or B2C. So super exciting. Mm-hmm. And that definitely leads into my next question, which is what channels have you seen have that have been like, A, you know, from a collaboration standpoint, how have you been collaborating? Have you been using social media for that? Any interesting channels in that regard? Yeah, I would say, you know, we're like a lot of brands right now. We don't have a lot of marketing spend or things we can put behind this, but we are very grateful to have a really strong consumer base, um, our Chaco Nation. So they've been incredibly responsive through social media and helping get the word out. Instagram has been a great platform for us. And then within the larger community, I would say the Outdoor Industry Association has been phenomenal in stepping in and helping connect a lot of things that were kind of happening scattered about. Supply Connector, which was mentioned on the panel um, has been a great resource. Brands that have been reaching out to me, I've been sort of connecting them there because there's a lot of people that either have materials or have manufacturing resources and just need to get that connection. So that's been great. And as the sort of um, people and brands continue to jump in, um, that just continues to grow and be a more useful resource as well. And it's crazy how fast that's happening, isn't it? Incredibly fast. It's been amazing to see. I I love this phrase and I have no idea who said it, but it it actually had to deal with like changes in channels and different reasons why we founded the podcast. And it was something like things go slowly, meaning they stay the same until one day Mm -hmm. they don't anymore. And I really think that this period of our lives in this pandemic and now ensuing recession is like that time. And that's forced modernization and nothing is going to be more powerful for our businesses to better serve our audiences than this forced modernization and what you and your team at Chaco are leading. You're showing us the way with your Chaco Nation 
and also with your ability to be nimble and pivot, but then also plug in and really make this more of a community effort. Like perhaps in the past, you wouldn't have thought to reach out to Bissell, or perhaps there might be a brand in in your world that you might have thought of as a competitor that's definitely now a collaborative partner. And I just think all of that is going to help us from a service standpoint in terms of like serving our end consumers. So what you're showing us is a fantastic North Star guiding light. And I just want to applaud all of the work you're doing because I know it's probably literally like seven days a week right now. But just Oh, yeah, it. absolutely. But it's good work. I'm, I'm grateful to have it. And the demand is there, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, tell us a little bit about that before we wrap up today. Absolutely. And I would say that this is one thing that hopefully came across on um, the panel we were talking on as well. There are a couple of ways you can go about this converting to PPE. And one is sort of like FDA approval, high level, looking for contracts, et cetera. And the other way is just start making something because the need is there. And we just started making hand-sewn masks with patterns that we had seen online or that had been shared. And immediately, I mean, the daily requests we are getting for masks for hundreds of thousands and our output is just not even, it's not even going to touch it, which is why the supply connector and other, having other people jump in, it's been great to be able to refer people elsewhere um, where they might be able to help because we're barely meeting the need in our backyard. And I think something to remember is that not only do our hospital workers need additional masks, but for every mask we can provide for another essential worker. So the people working in food service, the grocery stores, we donated a lot of our supply this week to homeless shelters. There was a huge need there and they were just not getting any. Those are masks that are then the N95 level masks are being freed up for the hospitals. So there's an incredible need. And um, I just encourage anyone that's even considering it to please consider how they can help. And so that's supplyconnector.org. And where can we learn more about, is it Instagram? That would be the best place for us to follow everything that Chaco is leading right now. Chaco's.com, Instagram, all along. And then also our factory is making masks right now, but we are still taking custom orders. And our consumer base has been really supportive of still saying, hey, I'm going to support you guys. I'm going to make a custom order, even though I know I won't get it for a few months. So that's another way you can show us support. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much again. I feel fortunate that we were able to put this show together. I know you're super busy and what you have brought to the Channel Mastery Podcast today is going to definitely elevate, I think, just not only the awareness, but the inspiration for everybody to chip in and and do their part. I want to thank the Outdoor Industry Association and Snow Sports Industries Association for sponsoring the panel earlier this week. Everything can be found at their websites, including great resources on COVID-19. That's snowsports.org and outdoorindustry.org. Lindy just shared the Chaco resources. And I also want to point you to verdepr.com forward slash pivot for a overview on how to communicate what you're doing with a PPE pivot in your business. Thank you so much again for your time today. And I truly wish you the best of luck with all the great work you're doing over there. Thank you so much. We super appreciate it. Hey, everybody, Kristen here again. Just wanted to let you know that we're going to transition now to my one-on-one interview with the president of DPS Skis, Alex Adima. This conversation was first recorded on a Facebook Live on April 16th of 2020. All right, let's dive right in. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thank you, Kristen. I'm happy to be here. And uh, yeah, thankful for you sharing DPS's story in this. 
Oh, we're happy to. It's super inspiring. So I wanted to go ahead, as people know, we had a panel together earlier this week on Tuesday, and we'll definitely have all the notes for that available at the podcast notes page. And um, I wanted to bring you on the show to give you some more time to talk about your story in depth, because obviously being on a panel with five people and having 45 minutes to talk about that really didn't give it justice. And what you're doing is very inspiring as, as well as the partnerships that you're doing this with. And so why don't we start by having you do an introduction of your company and of you and your position within DPS? Sure. So, yeah, my name is Alex Adam. As you said, I, I'm the CEO for DPS Skis. I've been with DPS for about five years. Uh, DPS is a 15-year-old company. We're based here, headquartered here in Salt Lake City, Utah, which is where we manufacture the lion's share, 90% of our, our skis. We have a, a pretty gritty and uh, soulful bunch here that has done um, some amazing things over time and really been fun to be a part of, despite the circumstances in the midst of the COVID scenario. So um, we've made some some pivots around that. But yeah, generally speaking, we've just got a long storied history of ski design and innovation. And more recently with our Phantom Permanent Base Glide product, which is a, an alternative environmentally friendly alternative to ski waxes and in a permanent application. So we're doing some fun stuff and uh, just excited to be a part of the story in this current scenario that, that involves other brands that we've partnered with to address the community situation. Right. And you're located in Salt Lake and you have a 15-year-old manufacturing facility that is really like prototype enabled right there in Salt Lake, correct? Yeah, that's right. So actually, um, we we onshored our ski manufacturing in 2010 after about five years when it was previously just done overseas in Asia. But when we opened our factory in Ogden and have since grown now into our third version of the factory here, which is in Salt Lake City. So as we grow each time, we add uh, new vertically integrated processes into into what we're doing in ski manufacturing, as well as adding more capacity on the Phantom side as well. That's awesome. And we do have a previous podcast actually focusing on your company that I'll also reshare in the podcast notes too, so everybody can hear the background on that. And I think that was done in Q3 of 2019, so it's pretty recent. So um, let's talk about the pivot. Obviously, um, here we are on April 17th. We did the, the panel a few days before this date, and you have been just running fast and furiously for the past three or four weeks, I imagine. Can you talk about the aha moment and how all of this unfolded into personal protective equipment, changing from what you do in your facility normally around winter sports and pivoting to create this equipment for frontline healthcare workers? Sure. Yeah. So our season, generally speaking, has been winding down, but was certainly cut short. And as we were watching in Europe, it was cut short even even by a few weeks compared to North America. So uh, we immediately noticed, obviously, with Italy closing down, that ski resorts, ski shops, and all that goes along with that in the ecosystem was being affected. And then that quickly was spreading through Europe. Uh, and then shortly thereafter, the governor of Colorado actually shut down all the ski resorts in Colorado, and it didn't take Utah. But a couple of days to follow in line with that. So as we were watching all that unfolded, uh, unfold, we, we knew that there would be some adjustments that had to be made and there'd be some pain coming. Of course, we didn't know exactly what that meant, how long it would be for, and sort of what, you know, how that would actually play itself out as it affect our business. So we, we started wondering, you know, should we be worried about um, collecting our accounts receivables from, from existing ski shops? Because, you know, many of our ski shops um, are smaller, specialty retail operations that are, are true, you know, small family businesses in a lot of cases um, that will potentially suffer if the ski season's cut short and maybe have difficulty transitioning into their summer sports if they're also a climbing or a, 
a bike shop or things like that. So um, we began sort of preparing for the worst on that front. And, and so far, it has not been the worst to say the least, although it's not been easy for many of them. And it's it's really been affecting them. On the snow sports side, it's kind of fortuitous for us, again, that we're really building more now towards our fall deliveries and our, our 2021 lineups. So from that perspective, we're still able to continue manufacturing and we're taking our, our preseason orders that, that you know follow the trade shows at ISPO and outdoor retailer. And so those things are still moving along. Of course, everybody's anxious and cautious and not sure exactly what to expect. So we sort of dialed back a little bit on production and wondered how do we keep how do we keep our employees fully staffed if we're going to do that and kind of be cautious with the whole perspective of of COVID-19. Simultaneously, we're we're sort of watching stories um, of other companies and in all kinds of industries around the world uh, make conversions to help with the the medical PPE effort. I remember reading a couple of articles in the Wall Street Journal specifically about, you know, just kind of the comparisons to World War II um, type of, uh, you know, all hands on deck, you know, scenarios. And and we just started sort of asking the questions, could we do this? We have one machine in particular. It's an Eastman um, cutting machine that is originally designed for textile um, cutting. And so we started thinking, even though I'd never even heard of an N95 mask, uh, we started wondering, now that we're seeing this in the media, is this something we could do? Could we cut fabric for somebody further along the supply chain and just help in the process. And as we dug into that, we realized it just really wasn't feasible. A, because we couldn't get our hands on the materials and B, we weren't sure where to plug in to the supply chain. So I started uh, just hounding everybody I could in, in Utah, whether it was Utah Manufacturing Association or the Governor's Office of Economic Development and Outdoor Industry Association, SAA, whoever it would have been to see where we might be able to plug in. And then at some point during these conversations, one or a couple of our engineers had the idea that we could use our Eastman cutting machine to actually cut the plastic for those protective face shields. Okay. Um, and it took, didn't, didn't take more than a day or two before they were prototyping those face shields and realized that this actually might be a place for us to plug in. So that was kind of the genesis of how we got to producing face shields. So it was definitely an iterative process of trial and error and just seeing what we might be able to contribute. And at the same time, it brought like kind of swept morale forward in the whole team because you went from kind of this unsure, shaky place of kind of finishing out the season and looking ahead and almost curbing to like leaning in, <laughs> cannonballing in practically. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we were quite anxious about making wise choices and um, putting employees first, putting health first. And we, we were daily asking ourselves, is it prudent to be trying to produce skis at all? Should we be just you know shutting down the factory and sending everybody home. At the same time, there's just so much ambiguity. Were, were we sending people home for a week or two weeks or two months or three months? And in either scenario, it's drastically different outcomes and potential implications to the business and just the future viability of DPS. But yeah, I was really anxious to kind of put priorities and figure out what you know first things first. And employee safety is is right there at the top of that list. But as we got into producing the PPE, there's a whole new energy that started to just sort of overtake our entire team and an energy around trying to be part of the solution and not just an anxiety over whether or not we were doing the right thing on the ski side. So it was a pretty remarkable thing to see. And, you know, maybe it was me nagging and pushing on, you know, the possibility of doing PPE for a little bit. But once um, once everybody sort of caught fire with it, they just ran right by me and the energy was was pretty awesome. So we're still doing the typical things that we're seeing as best practices right now in manufacturing. We're doing temperature checks at the door. We're staggering shifts to keep uh, fewer people in the building at the same time. We've spread out our assembly tables and presses and things like that to 
be as safe as possible. But yeah, you're right. The morale has been worth its weight in gold for us as a team. And as we watch other companies kind of suffer during this time, we almost feel guilty in a way for having found a, a way to keep, keep employees working and keep morale high in this time that's so anxious for everybody. Let's talk about the collaborations that you, um, I imagine they they started as you kind of picked up the phone and started to canvas the entire state for for some sort of like direction. And what kind of came out of that that was a little surprising for you in terms of <laughs> the the grouping of brands that are now working together in Salt Lake? Yeah, so we didn't have any idea what the cost would be of, of running these shields. We didn't even know who would buy them, how much th- that we would sell them for, if we'd be able to you know do it at, at even a break even place or if we'd be losing money, could we afford to lose money? So I happen to chair the Utah Outdoor Association. It's it's a young fledgling organization that's rallying around providing trade industry resources to Utah outdoor brands specifically. And so I put out a, an email to the to that board and just said, look, this is something we're going to try. We're not sure how far it's going to go or what's going to become of it. We're a little nervous about getting into it. And if any of you have any ideas to help with, to support, to help with connections to supply chain, whatever it is, we'd love to know about it. And of course, I get lots of positive responses right away and best intentions to help. And all these brands are, you know, in in their own way, their own way, fighting a similar story um, with different circumstances. So, um, but a couple in particular, Petzl and Goal Zero, who both are close friends and and also very closely aligned brands with us here in the community, both jumped in and said, well, we're going to do what we can to help. In fact, Tom himself said, I'd love to make introductions or connections, whatever I can do, you know, let me know. And a few hours later, uh, he called back and said, oh, geez, I think actually we could provide the head straps from our from our uh, headlamps to you. And he's like, I have no idea, but let me call France and we'll get an answer by the morning and see what we can do with that. So it's just taken off from there. And similarly with Goal Zero, they do a lot of humanitarian work. And so mm-hmm. uh, they were eager to just see what they could do. They said, we can't manufacture here, but that's something you guys can do. Why don't we help you at least defray the costs of the raw materials? So those are a couple of the key ones. And then, of course, I mentioned the uh, the Eastman cutting machine that we have. So Eastman, which is a Buffalo-based company, actually, that sells these machines around the world, has helped with some consulting around it, providing blades, parts, and other sort of necessities to, to make it work, because we're really going to be taxing that machine as a part of this process. So those are just the three really key ones. And then, again, SIA, OIA, EDC Utah, the Governor's Office of Economic Development, Utah Manufacturers Association, just all those groups have in one way or another, in small ways, come together to um, really make a pretty cool partnership that's not obvious above the surface, but um, we all know what's happening. It's pretty remarkable. That is remarkable. And I think that one of the main points that I wanted to touch on today for other people and organizations looking to try and do the same thing is the fact that you started hyper-local and now, like the second word got out about this, you realized what the demand was like. Can you talk a little bit about that in terms of going from hyper-local to quickly realizing like, wow, this is a national need and we are plugged in to this supply chain, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, you know, again, we we just didn't know if there would be a need that we could actually fill. And, and then, we didn't know if we'd get overwhelmed by it. But as we finally plugged in with the Utah Department of Health, they made some pretty substantial orders right off the bat. And um, we were just scrambling with Goal Zero and Petzl to make sure that we could even we could make that work. Could we make that work with our supply chain? Could we make that work with our employees that were on the production line, et cetera? At some point, we decided, okay, this is working. We're going for it. And we had been getting a lot of stories already percolating. So we decided that we need to do a press release of some kind just to just to kind of share exactly what's happening rather than all the questions that were coming in miscellaneously. 
And you're, you have a complicated story with all these partners too. I mean, it's That's not right. like a That's straight right. shooting. Con- yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And we wanted to make sure to really give credit and, and validate the effort of the other brands that were involved. That was the best way for us to do that. But as soon as we released that press release and kind of started sending it out to our, you know, our, our pro and ambassadors and different supporters out there, within minutes, we started getting inquiries from all over the country wanting wow. to know if we could build face shields. So, you know, coming from University of Washington, um, hospital system and a hospital system in Arlington, Virginia, and numerous ones in Colorado, the Navajo Indian Reservation in Southern Utah, the Moab Hospital. I mean, it just was coming in from everywhere. So yeah, it was pretty interesting to see how that was sort of unfolding. And now we have masks. We're predominantly focused on our Department of Health needs here in Utah because those orders have since quadrupled. Um, wow. and that's about all we can manage at the moment. But we are doing some smaller orders for, um, you know, really kind of special special requests that have come in, whether it's from the, the Navajo Reservation, from Moab. Um, there's some going to Costa Rica soon. There's some going to France uh, where Petzl has a need that they're supporting. So it's been interesting to try and triage that and, and we hate to play favorites. So we're trying to figure out the most sort of judicious way of doing that while really focusing on Department of Health as our, as our primary supporter at this point. Wow. I mean, that, and just for the audience's benefit, that was one week ago today that you dropped that press release. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 10th been, uh, of April. Yeah. Actually our inside, uh, one of our inside sales managers, um, we've converted him. To, we're jokingly calling it the DPS medical sales manager because we just, we needed to start <laughs> quickly organizing an infrastructure internally to manage this whole new process that was pretty helter skelter, you know, seven days ago. And now is amazingly actually quite dialed in at this point. So it's been actually a fun process. Well, and Alex, you're doing such a great job kind of like conveying the cadence of how all of this has unfolded so quickly. But can we look ahead a little bit and talk about how you, you've been with the company now for five years. You've obviously really embedded yourself with the outdoor recreation community in Utah and also in the leadership role that you have within the organization of, of companies that are aligned with that. How do you see this changing two things? First, the culture of your company, that I think that that's something that cannot be forgotten in terms of everybody chipping in here, as well as kind of the trajectory of the outdoor recreation community in Utah. Let's start with your company. Sure. I still, I think you and I, when we talked on the phone the other day, I shared this with you, but I feel awkward or guilty even talking about the silver lining of all this, but there is a lot of silver lining. We wish again, the need would go away tomorrow, but in the meantime, um, what it has done for the morale of our team, not only to know that we're all in this together, shoulder to shoulder, figuring this whole project out, because it has been really demanding and grueling for a lot of people, but exhilarating at the same time. And then to know, especially through the communications now, as we coordinate certain things, whether it's getting the Petzl headlamp bands in from France or whatever with their logistics team or dealing with Goal Zero and some of their communications, the camaraderie that exists between the brands is really special as well. Because again, everybody just knows that individually, even as individual companies, we couldn't do what we're doing right now. But together we are. And it just gives you a sense of purpose that we really weren't even aware that we could use so much right now. You know, it's instead of being anxious, that whole community that's involved with this is really just energized and motivated by the idea that we're doing something special. Many of our employees have frontline emergency medical workers in their family, spouses or mothers or whatever. You know, one of our one of our koalas or as we call them, our athletes locally, his wife is an emergency room doctor here. And when he saw this, he just, you know, he just lost his mind with excitement, was so pleased to be a part of the story that was unfolding. So yeah, from a morale perspective and a long-term um, outcome of this, I think 
the unity that we're establishing right now, uh, we already were a soulful and passionate bunch to say the least. I mean, people don't get into working for a ski company for the money. They get into it for the passion and the love of that. And you already have a special team dynamic, but what we're seeing now just gives us frankly, just joy and excitement to think about what the future is going to be when we come out of this, because the team is just so unified and uh, it's really a shoulder to shoulder type of experience uh, and, and of course, there's different dynamics among that. You know, some people are more stressed than others. Some people are more energized by it than others. But all in all, it's going to have a, a, an effect that I think we'll feel for years to come, for sure. And that's, I think, you know, it's okay to talk about opportunity around this. And I know one of your neighboring CEOs from Code Epoxy had a great statement where he said, I'm really wanting to look at this as the COVID opportunity instead of the COVID crisis, right? And I believe that even if it's a morale or keeping our doors open because of something that we're doing to give back, all of that is super important. And you're right, it is actually going to create a sense of cohesiveness that will last for a super long time among the business community. I mean, this isn't just outdoor. I mean, you're helping healthcare, you're, you're working with government. This reaches far beyond like what we're used to in our little fishbowl of like outdoor active lifestyle. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's whether it's the Moab hospital reaching out or just the Department of Health. Frankly, this morning, when we've been working through the pricing with Department of Health, we don't even know how to price these things. I mean, we, we sort of have an idea of what our costs are. And so it's been very transparent and cooperative conversations, nobody trying to sort of leverage anything. And we're just having very frank conversations about well, how many do you need? When do you need them? How much can you pay for them? How much can we afford to give them for? And, and every one of those conversations either starts or finishes with just the appreciation of being involved of what you know, of what our group, and I, I hate to say just DPS, but what our group, DPS, Goal Zero, et cetera, Hetzel is doing. And so, yeah, it, it's definitely across all sectors right now. And everybody sort of feels this this unity that we need to attack this thing with. Right. And I just also want to say, because I know you've been incredibly humble and you've definitely put, you know, your team's intention forward. But the fact that we are creating the opportunity for other businesses to remain open and help at this time is actually part of the solution when we're all shuttered or whatever. So I just want to encourage you, like, you have nothing to hide on that front. We, we know that your intentions are super pure and know that everything, every time we tell this story, more people get inspired to help. And people really need that right now. I mean, we obviously have spent a whole, you've been in this for weeks. I've obviously been deep diving into this for about a week and a half, getting prepared for that panel. And the more I learn about it, the more I see there's a human resiliency story. And it's quite a beautiful story in terms of how we're all coming together in the face of this really unprecedented challenge to our lives and to our businesses. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Actually, there's one, there's, there's many, but one of the, one of the fun kind of sidebars here is that Bill Mahler at uh, Yeti Cycles over in, in Golden, Colorado is a, an advisor and a friend of mine and DPSs. And he was one of the per people that was on the original email when I reached out and asked for insight or advice or help with this. He called me shortly thereafter, texted, I can't remember what, and said, you know, we've got a couple of machines that are idle right now too. And we've got people that, that we're not sure if we should send them home or whatever. So they actually jumped in and started just building shields. They asked us for designs. They started building shields. And then they formed a partnership with, I believe it's Smith and, uh, and maybe Black Diamond to do a very similar project. So for me to be able to email our team and just say, hey, look, what, look what's happening with Yeti. You guys are inspiring this. We don't need credit for it, but it's just fun to know that that inspiration is going yet and kind of like wildfire and, and everybody doing what they can and supporting the efforts in their local community. So it's, that was pretty fun part of or sidebar to this whole thing as well. Awesome. Is there a place that I can direct our amazing audience to read more about this? Are you keeping a blog or should they just head to your website? Like where could they learn more? We haven't really kept a blog. I mean, we've frankly just been just trying to keep 
keep things together with, with running, you know, burn the candle at both ends. But we do have a short story about this on our blog at our website, which is www.dpsskis.com. And then, you know, Yeti and Petzl are also running some of that. There's a little bit on social media, but yeah, we, we frankly just haven't spent too much time contemplating that yet. We do have actually, so it's been kind of fun. There's a local PR firm here in town and the digital uh, advertising agency that has offered pro bono to come in and do a short film kind of like a beautiful film, not just me walking around with my iPhone and actually try and tell this story on behalf of the brands is their way of contributing too. So I'm not sure when that will be released, but we're really looking forward to that because I think that'll be a fun memento, not only for all of us involved, but for others who may be inspired to do similar things in the future. And we'll be sure to share that far and wide. Great. Thank you. We'll appreciate that. And, and again, those are the kinds of things that allow us to sort of validate our partners' efforts and give them the thanks and the credibility that they deserve. Yeah. And again, there's many that are behind the scenes, even among the, the the non-visible ones that are helping us, which I just keep trying to find ways to make sure that they get credit where it's due. Awesome. Well, I'll put all the links to Petzl, America, Goal Zero, and obviously DPS skis in the show notes that can be found at veritypr.com or channelmastery.com. And then please don't forget to check out the resources at uh, Snowsports Industries of America, snowsports.org, as well as outdoorindustry.org. They have two fantastic resource pages on each respective site. And we've also put together a guide to um, messaging and communication for brands that are actually making this pivot and giving them an opportunity to really understand how to roll that out in an authentic way. And that's at veritypr.com forward slash pivot. So hopefully with those resources, that will help everybody. Alex, I'm so grateful to have you on the program here today. This is a super inspiring story, and I really appreciate your time so much. Thank you. We appreciate you helping us get the story out there. And it's just a fun thing for our team to be able to enjoy some of this um, publicity and just know that their efforts are with a purpose and being noticed. So thank you for including us. Oh, they absolutely are. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new Channel Mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.